to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Happy Friday, everybody. Let me get right into it here. Here's what I want to do in this episode. I want to cover some of the more hidden topics, and one in particular, regarding the Supreme Court nomination of uh, Ketanji Brown-Jackson, and more specifically, the questioning that she received from Senator Ted Cruz at the very beginning of his first interaction with her on the first day where she was answering questions. Again, a lot of the internet play had to do with her being soft on crime, specifically regarding pedophiles and individuals watching or possessing child porn and a a bunch of other things. And rightfully so, that should have gotten a lot of play because, again, it's remarkably revealing into her past as both a defense lawyer and a judge and now apparently a, uh, a, a future fake judge because let's not kid ourselves, Joe Biden's not the president. He can't lawfully nominate anyone, which means any appointment he makes, just like in Barack Obama's case, because he couldn't lawfully be president either, that any appointment that they make uh, needs to be rescinded and reversed and what have you. That has to happen, including, again, this individual, uh, Judge Jackson. So, again, her past is as a defense lawyer. And most people, again, just casually speaking, most defense lawyers are soft on crime. Whether they are, again, given a particular case or a defendant who can't afford a lawyer or whatever it may be, again, under the Constitution, their job is to defend whoever it is that they have to be assigned to or whoever it is that they purposefully sign up to actually defend. I I fully get that. The, the issue is, is that when a defense lawyer becomes a judge, they take with them those same philosophies, ideologies, et cetera, et cetera. And then they end up lowering the sentence because, again, ultimately the judge holds all the cards when it comes to sentencing. Again, I'm not a lawyer. I like to think I am sometimes, and I pretend from time to time, but <clears throat> excuse me, I don't, um, I don't by any stretch of the imagination claim that I know everything about the law, and I I never would do that. What I do know is that I know deception when I hear it, and deception when I see it. And there was a lot of deception with this nominee. But the the, the part that I want to play in this episode is this. I I want to play the audio from Ted Cruz. Again, this was on what would technically be day two, but it was only day one of her, again, answering questions from the Judiciary Committee. At the very beginning of of him talking, he goes into the business of critical race theory, which is, again, really critical theory. And I wouldn't normally cover critical race theory on this podcast because, again, it's overplayed. I've mentioned it. And it's so out in the open that it doesn't even hide itself anymore. We, We can see it wherever it is now. And again, they're using deceptive names to further hide it but for those of us that that know what's going on we we know what those names are too and you know whatever else the the point is is that she claimed which well I'm just going to play the audio here and and I'm going to bust in and out as I as I do this but she gave a speech at a Michigan university or the university of michigan if I'm not mistaken but you'll hear it here shortly and she showed a slide from the individual who is the founding member of the 1619 Project, which again is fake history. Just to summarize it quickly, it's fake history, it's radical history, everybody's a racist, every white person's evil, etc., etc. She also claims that she doesn't really know what the 1619 Project is. My question is very simple. If you don't know what something is, why would you put it in a PowerPoint presentation or put it in a speech that you're giving to a group of people? Her answer, which you'll hear, was that she did it because she thought it was provocative and it was about MLK and all this other stuff. I wish that you could watch it. And again, you can look this up on YouTube and and you can watch her entire interaction. Um, The particular clip that I pulled off of YouTube is titled Ted Cruz 
asks Katanji Brown Jackson about critical race theory full video. She sits on a board for a private school in Washington, D.C., claims that she doesn't really know what critical race theory is. You'll hear her say she thinks that it's just kind of like a law school debatable thing and whatever else. And yet her private school is filled with critical race theory literature. As I was watching it again, she's taking some really hard gulps. She's swallowing. Uh, she's moving around. She's playing with things. You know, from a, from a mannerism perspective and a, a nonverbal communication perspective, it was very telling. The only thing she wasn't really doing was rolling her eyes throughout this entire testimony, again, regardless of the issue. But I want to start playing this now. Um, I'll mention again, I'll, I'll, I'll pop in from time to time and mention a few things. And then uh, just a couple of other broader points as, as I go throughout. But this, again, was a, a clip that really didn't get a lot of airplay. Everybody was focused, and rightfully so, again, on her being deceptive regarding the pedophiles that, that she was sentencing and a number of other things and giving them lenient sentences and X, Y, Z. That, that's a serious problem, not to mention on, again, what would be categorized as day three, where she was answering questions. There was a very unique moment in this. And again, keep in mind, I didn't watch a lot of day one. I watched some clips. This critical race theory thing from Ted Cruz shot out at me big time. And I thought, okay, I, I, you know, I've, I've got to analyze this and I've got to play this on the podcast so that people can get a better idea that right off the bat, she was being deceptive on a, on a very serious societal issue, clearly. But there was an interaction later on in the day where. Ted Cruz had written a letter asking for the courtroom documents on her lenient sentences of these pedophiles who, again, had possessed child pornography and XYZ because she was saying throughout the entire testimony on numerous occasions that the role of a judge is to take into account lots of different information from lots of different groups of people whether, again, it be social workers or counselors or psychologists, et cetera, et cetera. And while she's right about that, it also shows, however, that she's far more lenient when she's hearing people who are sympathetic to the individual who is actually the abuser. And yes, I'm sure she's taking into account other information from the prosecution side, but at the same time, She's, she's really digesting everything that has to do with the individual who committed the crime. Why? She's a defense lawyer. By nature, again, in, in her career, she was a defense lawyer. So there's that aspect of it that, you know, just seeps through everything. With that said, what Ted Cruz and, and the other Republicans were requesting, again, was that information that was being hidden from them because. They wanted to see the specifics in these cases and exactly the words that those different groups of people were actually saying about these individuals that she was sentencing. And again, what it would have done had they had access to that information and all of the details is it would have highlighted the, the horrific nature of, of these cases, even more so than what was brought up in this committee hearing. Again, some of the very basics and, and general aspects of it were brought up, the ages of the individuals, the, the quantity of the material, and, and XYZ. And one of the other things that she mentioned too, which I thought was really awful, is that she was, she was consistently stating that Yes, Congress makes laws, and then judges have to follow the law, so to speak, in, in that regard. We know that they don't, but in, you know, in some cases they do. So she would blame Congress on a consistent basis, as most judges do, and say, look, I'm a judge, you make the laws, judges don't make laws, X, Y, Z. It's kind of the standard line that you would hear from these people. But at the same time, she would consistently say regarding these child porn cases, that there are more of these cases, and as a result of, of there being more of these cases, the reason that that 
is the case is because of the internet and computer access and and basically blaming the technology as being the reason why there are more sex-related minor cases than ever before. To which I say, fine, prosecute them anyway to the fullest extent of the law, which again is what many of the senators were also saying. They were saying, great, throw the book at them, who cares? But she was calling them things like disparities, and there are disparities in the system and disparities and disparities. Again, it would be like saying, because there's more automobiles on the road, more people are likely to get in car accidents, which is a mathematical fact. But just because more, more car accidents occur and more individuals are at fault within those car accidents doesn't mean that because there's more cars on the road, you, be, you, you are more lenient with the individuals who are behind the wheel, who are involved or are directly responsible for a fatal crash or a crash that injured someone. Again, just because there's more cars on the road. That, that, that excuse does not fly. It just doesn't fly. So getting back to the critical race theory part, I'm, I, again, I'm going to play this. I'm going to bounce in and out. But this was what was not getting a lot of airplay. And this is problematic because she is a Marxist. She is full bore critical race theory in schools all the time. Period. It's a perfect. Uh, it's a perfect examination of nonverbal communication and getting down to the crux of what an act, what an individual actually believes when they're being asked a question, and uh, just the deception was everywhere. So I'm going to start this off here. Here we go. As I read your speech at the University of Michigan Law School, however, uh, there was a portion that surprised. Me. Uh, and in particular, in that speech, you referenced the work of, quote, acclaimed investigative journalist Nicole Hannah-Jones and her, and again, this is a quote from the speech, provocative thesis that America was born in, uh, that, that, that the provocative thesis that the America that was born in 1776 was not the perfect union that it purported to be. And indeed. Ms. Hannah Jones, in her 1619 projects, describes the central thesis of the 1619 project, which the New York Times laid out as a revisionist look of history, revising American history. And Ms. Hannah Jones described her central thesis as, quote, one of the primary reasons the colonists decided to declare independence was because they wanted to protect the institution of slavery. Now, that claim is a highly contested story. Um, do you agree with Ms. Hannah Jones that one of the primary reasons the colonists decided to declare independence is because they wanted to protect the institution of slavery? Thank you, Senator. When I gave that speech, University of Michigan, I was asked to speak on Martin Luther King Day. And um, every year they have a Martin Luther King Day speaker. And I gave a speech about black women in the civil rights movement. Um, most of the speech, if not all of the speech, was focused on African-American women, uh, their contributions to the civil rights movement, unsung contributions in many cases, and then some of the more recent African-American women um, who have made claims, who have uh, done things in our society. Uh, one slide was of Ms. Uh, a journalist, as you say, who made that statement, and I called it provocative. Um, it is not something that I've studied. It doesn't come up in my work. I was mentioning it because it was, at least at that time, something that was talked about and, and well-known uh, to the students that I was speaking to at the law school. So are you aware that, that since the 1619 Project came out, that it has been roundly uh, refuted by very respected historians, including Gordon Wood of Brown University, including James McPherson uh, of Princeton University. McPherson called it a, quote, 
very unbalanced, one-sided account, which lacks content and perspective. And indeed, it was so thoroughly refuted that the New York Times quietly altered the digital version to remove references to 1619 as the year of America's true founding and the moment America began. Were, were you aware of that? I was not. Two things which I basically already mentioned earlier. Number one, if you don't know who this individual is who runs the 1619 Project and makes up all of this nonsense, why would you include them in a slide? If you don't know about it and you're, and you're giving a speech on African-American women and unsung heroes, why would you include this person in your slide? Does that not mean that by default you believe that that person who runs the 1619 Project or created it, I don't know, as they were sitting on their back porch um, as a stream of consciousness thought, because that's how stupid the 1619 Project is, doesn't that mean that by default you know what it is? and that you support it? You would think so. You would certainly think that, 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 again, she would know that. When she just answered at the end of that clip that she didn't know that the New York Times had, had, had quietly edited it and that other people had refuted it and whatever else, she said she didn't know that. Huge gulp. Massive gulp. See, this was a moment in this entire thing, again, as I said earlier, that was missed by many in the media because we've heard critical race theory at nauseum. It's, it's, a, it's a daily thing, you know, CRT this and CRT that. It's been in, in, just ingrained into everybody's mind at this point that it's, it, it turns people off. It's disgusting to people. They don't even want to hear it um, because it's not even that hard to find anymore. It's, it's so, so much in the mainstream, again, that even states are creating laws to ban it. And then, of course, all they're doing in, at the local school level is they're just changing the names around and building new websites and new companies to bury that material within and then teach it anyway. But then they can ultimately say, it's not critical race theory because you're not going to find the words critical race theory anywhere. Well, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The point is, is that Judge Jackson is deceptive and being deceptive, and she knows exactly where she stands on these issues. She's 100% fine rewriting history, in particular for youth. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a skill or a tactic, rather, of a Marxist. It's that simple. Now, I want to make this clear also. I'm not a fan of politicians. I don't like Ted Cruz. I don't like Ben Sass, who's sitting right next to him. I don't like any of these slime balls. I don't like any of them. I think that it's good that some of them are asking real questions and tougher questions because that's their job. That's what they're supposed to do. And then, of course, some of them don't. Some of them are just playing patty cake for the sake of playing patty cake because, again, they don't want to do their homework. They don't want to come off as being abrasive or whatever. They're more interested in the public image then they are looking at an individual. And again, this is the job interview of job interviews. So, I mean, you have to hold these people accountable for their associations. That's, that's the first play in the playbook when, when you're engaging in these judiciary hearings. And I've watched enough of them to know that. But I've also watched enough of them to know that some of them are harder on the, on the individual than others. But the ones that aren't doing the digging are really the ones that are compromised. Again, I'm not a Ted Cruz fan, but he, he, went, he went after her, and rightfully so. So I'm going to continue right off uh, where we left off. So yeah, here we go. So let me ask you, related to the 1619 project, which I believe is, is deeply inaccurate and misleading. Um, 1619 project is closely, closely intertwined with a movement that is called critical race Critical race theory, as you know, originated at your and my alma mater at, at Harvard Law School. Uh, in your understanding, what, what does critical race theory mean? What is it? Senator, my understanding is that critical race theory is, um, it is an academic theory that is about the ways in which uh, race interacts with um, various institutions 
it doesn't come up in my work as a judge. It's never something that I've studied or relied on, and it wouldn't be something that I would rely on if I was on the Supreme Court. So critical race theory, as you know, has its origins in the critical legal studies movement, which also came from Harvard Law School, from a number of critical legal studies professors, crits as they were known when we were in law school, uh, who are explicitly Marxists, and they find their origins in Marxism, although critical legal studies frames society as a fundamental battle between socioeconomic classes. Critical race theory frames all of society as a fundamental and intractable battle uh, between, between the races. It views every conflict as, as a racial conflict. Um, do you think that's an accurate way of viewing society in the world? Senator, I don't think so, um, but I've never studied critical race theory, and I've never used it. It doesn't come up in the work that I do as a judge. So, so with respect, I, I find that a curious statement uh, because, and this is where Ted Cruz has her. He's got her. He starts throwing up giant posters now and slides, and he has a stack of books next to him that he reaches underneath his desk and grabs, and he starts reading off of them. And again, these are the books that are offered within the very school where she sits on a board. So she says, well, as a judge, I don't know anything about it. I don't deal with it, whatever. He exposed her law school experience as, as Harvard being a place that widely discusses critical race theory. He used the word Marxist, which is exactly what it is. It's Marxism. I would have loved and and would love more and more people to call it out for what it is, that if you support critical race theory or any of the spider web attachments that are associated with it, then you're a Marxist. You're a Marxist, period, or a Bolshevik or whatever. Just call it out for what, you know, call these people out for what they are. This was, again, something that I didn't hear. Now, I could have missed it. But I, I, I did not hear anybody look at her point blank and say, are you a Marxist? I mean, heaven forbid we, we actually get back to the days of Joseph McCarthy where somebody just looks at someone else and says, are you a communist? And let's get that, you know, let's get that on the record under oath. Why not? At this point, why not? We know that she's, we know she's lenient on, pedof on pedophiles when it comes to time for sentencing. We know she associates with critical race theory and the individuals who support it. The woman is a Marxist, so why not just ask her, are you a Marxist? Are you a communist? Are you a socialist? I mean, just ask her. But I didn't hear anybody point blank ask her. But the associations right here are all we really need to know. I would have just, I don't know, appreciated a little more blunt approach maybe. But here's where he catches her, and I'm going to keep playing it. So here we go. Um. You gave a speech in April of 2015 uh, at the University of Chicago in which you described the job you do as a judge. And you said sentencing is just plain interesting because it melds together myriad types of law, criminal law, and of course, constitutional law, critical race theory. So you described in a speech to a law school what you were doing as critical race theory. Uh, and so I guess I would ask, what, what did you mean by that? With respect, Senator. Um, the quote that you are mentioning there um, was about sentencing policy, it was not about sentencing. Um, I was talking about the policy uh, determinations of bodies like the Sentencing Commission when they look at a laundry list of various academic subjects as they consider what the policy should be. Okay, but, Critical you, but you race. were vice chair of the Sentencing Commission, so let me ask again, what did you mean by, that was an official responsibility of yours, what, what did I you meant, mean by what you were doing was critical race? What I meant was that there are a number of, that that uh, slide does not show the entire laundry list of different uh, academic disciplines that I said um, relate to sentencing policy, but none of that relates to what I do as a judge. So let me ask you a different question. Is, is critical race theory taught in schools? Is it taught kindergarten through 12? Senator, I don't know. I don't think so. I believe it's an academic theory that's at the law school level. 
Two things, pretty obvious. Number one, she claimed that critical race theory has nothing to do with her, her job as a judge, basically. And yet, when it comes to sentencing, critical race theory has apparently something to do with sentencing. Interesting, because I thought judges were responsible for sentencing. See, she's already lying. It's, <laughs> it can't be more obvious. She's already lying. Keep in mind, too, again, this was one of the first lines of questioning she received on the first day where she was, where she was answering questions. Again, it's technically day two, but it was really day one of her receiving these questions. Ted Cruz has her. He's got her. And then, when asked, is it taught in K-12 schools across America, she says she doesn't think so. What? Who in their right mind would make that, would say that? What do you mean she doesn't think so? There are state laws that say you can't teach this anymore because of its detrimental nature and its distraction to real academic success or knowledge. She doesn't think so? So again, this is where I said to myself as I was first watching this, this testimony, and I'll keep playing it because it gets juicier. She's either lying, she's being deceptive and just sort of bouncing around the issues, or she's just stupid. I don't know which, but she thinks she's getting away with it. And she, I mean, she's not getting away with it. She is a Marxist. She associates with all of these organizations. And then again, to ignorantly say, but we know she's lying, that CRT is not a thing and doesn't exist in schools? I mean, ladies and gentlemen, Helen Keller can see that that's the case. And Helen Keller was a socialist too, if not a downright Marxist. So there you have it. Again, the gall to make that comment is astounding to me. So let's continue, because again, Cruz has her. As you may recall, during the confirmation hearings of Justice Amy Coney Barrett, there was a great deal of attention paid to the fact that Justice Barrett served as a board member on the Board of Trustees of a religious private school, and the press focused very intensely on the views of that school. In your questionnaire to this committee, you disclosed that you are similarly on a board, specifically the Board of Trustees for the Georgetown Day School, and that you've been a board member since 2019, and you're currently still a board member. Is, is that correct? That is correct. Uh, in regard to the Georgetown Day School, you've publicly said, quote, since becoming a member of the GDS community seven years ago, Patrick and I have witnessed the transformative power of a rigorous progressive education that is dedicated to fostering critical thinking, interdependence, and social justice. When you refer to social justice and the school's mission on social justice, what, what did you mean? Thank you, Senator, for allowing me to address this issue. Georgetown Day School has a special history that I think is um, important to understand when you consider my service on that board. The school was founded in 1945 in Washington, D.C. at a time in which, by law, there was racial segregation in this community. Black students were not allowed in the public schools to go to school with white students. Georgetown Day School is a private school that was created when three white families, Jewish families, got together with three black families and said that despite the fact that the law requires us to separate, despite the fact that the law is set up to make sure that black children are not treated the same as everyone else, we are going to form a private school so that our children can go to school together. The idea of equality Justice is at the core 
of the Georgetown Day School mission. And it's a private school such that every parent who joins the community does so willingly with an understanding that they are joining a community that is designed to make sure that every child is valued. Every child is treated as having inherent worth and none are discriminated against because of race. So Judge Jackson, all of us will agree that, that no one should be discriminated against because of race. When you just testified a minute ago that you didn't know if critical race theory was taught in K-12, I will confess I, I find that statement little hard to reconcile uh, with the public record, because if you look at Georgetown A School's curriculum, it is filled and overflowing with critical race that, that among the, doc, the books that are either assigned or recommended, uh, they include critical race theory and introduction. Uh, they include the end of policing and ad, an advocacy for abolishing police. They include how to be an anti-racist by Ibram Kent Kendi. They include literally stacks and stacks of books. And I'll tell you two of the ones that were most stunning. They include a book called Anti-Racist Baby uh, by Ibram Kendi. And there are portions of this book that, that, that I find really quite remarkable. One portion of the book says babies are taught to be racist or anti-racist. There is no neutrality. Another portion of the book, they recommend to babies confess when being racist. Now, this is a book that is taught at Georgetown Day School to students in pre-K through second grade, so four through seven years old. Um, do you agree with this book that is being taught to kids that, that babies are racist? Senator. I do not believe that any child should be made to feel as though they are racist or though they are not valued or though they are less than, that they're victims, that they are oppressors. I don't believe in any of that. But what I will say is that when you asked me whether or not this was taught in schools, critical race theory, my understanding is that critical race theory as an academic theory is taught in law schools. And to the extent that you were asking the question, I understood you to be addressing public schools. Georgetown Day School, just like the religious school that Justice Barrett was on the board of, is a private school. So, so you agree critical race theory is taught at Georgetown Day School? I don't know because the board is not, um, the board does not control the curriculum. The board does not focus on that. That's not what we do as board members. So I'm actually not sure. Well, and I'm... Please. Please. Who is listening to this and believing a word of what she's saying? Are you kidding me? An education board, a committee, the board, the committee of a private school doesn't know that their own private school is teaching critical race theory or not, and that's not the job of the board? Bullshit. She got caught. No one in their right mind believes what she's saying. Anyone with a brain, anyway. There's no way. I work in a shoe store and, uh, you know, but we, we have nothing to do with shoes. I mean, I don't, I don't, I have nothing to do with sizing. I have nothing to do with, uh, uh I know shoe stores hardly exist and no one gets sized for shoes anymore, but you, you get what I'm saying. I have nothing to do with tying laces and we certainly don't order shoes. I mean, heaven forbid, it's just not part of, uh, you know, I sit on a board of a shoe store, but that's not, that's not what we do at the old shoe store. Stop it. Stop it. You're embarrassing yourself. It's embarrassing. This should have gotten way more play. I'm not done playing it, but it should have gotten way more play. I'm shocked it didn't. Again, 
this this first 12 to 15 minutes of her testimony has been lying. That's it. It's just been straight up lying. Let's continue, shall we? Note that the board is is chaired by Professor Fairfax, your college roommate, who introduced you yesterday. So the two of you serve on the board together. Um, another book that is on the uh, summer reading for third through fifth grade is a book called Stamp for Kids, again by Eva Kennedy. Uh, I read the entirety of the book, and I would say it is uh, an astonishing book. Uh, on page 33, it asks the question, can we send white people back to Europe? That's on 33. That's what's being given to eight and nine years. It also, on page 115, says the idea that we should pretend not to see racism is connected to the idea that we should pretend not to see color. It's called colorblindness. Skipping ahead, here's what's wrong with this. It's ridiculous. Skin color is something we all absolutely see. Skipping ahead, so to pretend not to see color is pretty convenient if you don't actually want to stamp out racism in the first place. Now, what this book argues for is the exact opposite of what Dr. King spoke about on the floor of the, of the Lincoln Memorial. And are you comfortable uh, with, with these ideas being taught to children as young as four in, in respect to the first book, as young as eight, nine in respect to the second? Senator, I have not reviewed any of those books, any of those ideas. They don't come up in my work as a judge, which I'm respectfully here to address. In my work as a judge, which is evidenced from my near decade on the bench. Okay, I am then, then let's go back to, to your work as a judge. See, she's wrong again. That's exactly why she's there. They aren't there to just discuss their time as a judge. They are there to discuss their entire life, everything that they have done, the decisions they've made. If she has a DUI on her record, they would bring that up because they're supposed to. So what happened the day you got your DUI? I mean, they would bring up things like that because, again, that's their job. And she can deflect all she wants. Again, it's not has nothing to do with me and, um, you know, whatever. She's involved. She's on the board. I, I loved it. Again, that was the first 16 plus minutes of his, of his first 30 some odd minutes where, again, he was going after her association with critical race theory, which she clearly has one. She sits on the board of a private school. Great history lesson, by the way, but no one cares about the history, frankly, not, not today. You know, the, the, the Georgetown Day School history is, is fine. You, you wanted to create a school where people weren't segregated? Great. What about today, though? Do they segregate today? Do you not let whites show up or not? Because, again, to sit on an education board of a private school and not know that those books are there should show everybody her negligence on detail. I mean, again, if you're going to be a judge, be a judge. Just do that thing. Just do that. Don't associate and dip your toes into the, into the pools of other professions like education. But see, nothing is more perverse than American education because that's what happens with education. Everybody dips their toes and fingers into the pool of education regardless of where the, those schools or institutions may exist. Everybody thinks they're an expert on education, regardless of the actual profession that they have, which is typically not education. Now, of course, people are activists, and those activists have made their way into education institutions now. So they are actually not educators anymore, they're just activists. It's sad. It's just sad. The whole thing is so sad. It, it really does break my heart to watch all of the research, and I've brought this up before, but all of the research on effective learning and all of the real researchers who clearly lay out how it is that people learn best, and it's all been ignored 
It's all been burned. All of it. It's been destroyed. Now again, everybody's a racist. Everybody should hate themselves. And we don't, and no one seems to care nor mind that that's having a destructive impact on the mental and emotional well being of minors. That it's causing, again, grade school kids to kill themselves in elementary school. And then they're just going to grow up and be miserable adults. What a horrible existence, too. I mean, it's, it's slavery from, from cradle to grave. And the American education system is facilitating that slavery. And it's just awful. Now, there's two more things I want to bring up here in this episode. First of all, bouncing around the internet this week was a Home Depot, the box store, hardware store. There was a Home Depot packet that apparently an employee had taken pictures of describing privilege and what privilege is and white privilege. I'm not going to read through that packet because it's embarrassing, as you might expect, and filled with just Marxist nonsense. But packets like that that sit inside of uh, break rooms and, and where people eat their lunch and whatever else. That not only exists, of course, at, at the corporate level, and we have BlackRock to thank for a lot of that, but at the same time, it exists within American K-12 schools and certainly universities. Yes, it depends sometimes on the demographics of, of the, and the location of the school and the town and the city and whatever, but you know things like that that are designed to indoctrinate the very people who work within, this is all part of the plan. This is all part of the plan to destroy these institutions, both from the outside in and then the inside out. And then it just sinks down into its own hole. And again, everybody just sits around and wonders why. Everybody has a hive mind and thinks exactly the same within these environments. And heaven forbid if you have a difference of opinion or you just know more than other people who work there, then there's something wrong with you. Well, that's again, too, what, what, what's going on in higher ed. And this is the last thing I wanted to mention. This comes from the College Fix, and it's an article titled Atmosphere of Terror. Third professor sues Texas College alleging censorship. Again, the, these institutions are awful. But I want to read parts of this particular article because, again, it's frightening. This is written by Nathan Biller of Colgate University. Well, it, it just reads like this. Here we go. Quote, Michael Phillips, a historian at Collin College in Texas, earlier this month became the third professor in his department since 2021 to file a free speech violation lawsuit against his employer with the help of the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education. Phillips and Fire allege that the school refused to renew his contract because he criticized its COVID-19 policies on Facebook, instructed his students about negative effects of anti-masking groups during the 1918 pandemic, co-wrote a controversial opinion article, and made statements to the media according to the Dallas Observer. On March 8, Phillips filed a lawsuit against his employer alleging free speech violations. Fellow professors Suzanne Jones and Laura Burnett also filed free speech lawsuits with the college this year with FIRE's assistance. Burnett reached a $70,000 settlement with the college plus attorney's fees on January 25th, according to FIRE. Jones's lawsuit, which also alleges she was penalized for making statements administration did not approve of, is still pending. Phillips, who has taught at Collin for almost 14 years, said in a statement to ABC News that his campus has been an atmosphere of terror. Faculty are afraid to speak out about anything. I'm going to end the article there because uh, then it just goes into, well, there was a back and forth and there was no comment and blah, blah, blah. This has been going on for quite some time. You've even heard me bring it up in the past. The fact that higher education institutions have these Anonymous reporting boards where students can anonymously complain about anybody, including their professors, 
And then, of course, those professors are emailed or, or written and contacted, and they are essentially guilty until proven innocent. The very nature of those is such a Bolshevik tactic that it should tell everybody that the institutions, again, that are doing this are Bolshevik institutions. It can't get clearer than that, regardless of the size of the institution. Again, we're talking about a small Texas college here is doing this. So no one is free from any of this. Everybody is experiencing this. It's occurring in law schools as well. Uh, it's occurring everywhere. And if law schools are pumping out future lawyers, whether they be defense attorneys or prosecutors or what have you, and, and they actually believe any of this, whether, it, again, it be critical race theory or free speech is overrated or uh, we need to have anonymous boards where people can uh, anonymously complain, you know, because of their safety and all. Uh, anybody who agrees with any of that is showing their hand, just like Judge Jackson. In the first 12 minutes of Ted Cruz talking with her, she lied. In the, you know, 12, 15, whatever it was, all of those education issues that she was being asked about, she was lying. That was the very foundation of her entire testimony, so to speak. And then, of course, there was, you know, I don't know, there was the, the bootlicking that went on with countless other individuals. And then, of course, the senators that just didn't want to do their homework and didn't want to, you know, ruffle any feathers and whatever else and just decided to play nice. The, the, the overarching problem here, ladies and gentlemen, is that all of these institutions, again, again, we're talking about preschool all the way up to the Supreme Court, are completely infected with individuals that believe this kind of stuff. They believe it. Which means, again, we have to do whatever we have to do as citizens to remove ourselves as far away from the things that go on with them. But we still have to hold them accountable. And that's a difficult thing to do. I fully understand that there are a lot of people that don't want to get involved and they you know, just want to walk away 100%. But we can't let people just steal our liberty either. We can't let that happen. And speaking of that, I want to finish by mentioning this. Dr. Robin McCutcheon, who of course has been a guest on, on this podcast and is a good friend, she was on the Quite Frankly podcast on, uh, on Wednesday night. I highly recommend checking that out. I will link the Rumble video in the description below if you're interested in seeing her and listening to her talk. Um, it's, it's, it's sound information. She cares. And she, too, again, went after Marshall University years ago in a lawsuit and won over the exact same issue that this Texas college professor has done and a couple of his colleagues have done. She, she told Marshall University, we have academic freedom here. You don't get to tell me what to do and what to teach. You can ask me questions, and I can tell you what I'm teaching and how that has everything to do with what it is that I'm here to actually teach. But a student making a random complaint or another faculty member making a random complaint, you don't get to do that. I have academic freedom, and that's the way that it is. Well, as you've heard her say on my podcast, and she brings it up again during um, the Quite Frankly podcast, you know, they came after her again because she's up for tenure for full professor. And because of her stance on the COVID lies and the mask lies and everything that's been going on, there are some people that think that she doesn't deserve it. Well, too bad. Too bad for them. They don't get to make that call. People are so afraid of the truth that they really don't want to learn from other people. They, they are that brainwashed. And when we've become so brainwashed as a society that we are incapable of learning the truth from, from anybody, whether we are related to them or not, or we work with them or not, or we are friends or cordial or acquaintances with them or not, that's a sad state of affairs. And again, as I've brought up in the past, that's not a survivable skill 
or characteristic. It's not really a skill. It's, it's, it's a characteristic. A person who possesses that characteristic, the inability or unwanting to learn, that person will not survive. The reason that learning is a lifelong skill is because it is the skill that will keep you alive. And then, of course, people have to act on it. But you can't just say, well, I'm done learning. That's it. No more for me. I'm a certain age. Now I don't have to learn anymore. Or I'm, you know, I, I'm in a certain position or I have certain employment. I don't have to learn anymore. No. No. That'll put people in legal peril. It will put people in professional peril. It will put people in personal peril. And uh, it's happening every single day, which is remarkably, again, it's just remarkably unfortunate that that's the case. But again, it's, it's the people that continuously learn. Those are the individuals that will make it, hopefully. So with that said, ladies and gentlemen, have a great weekend, and I'll catch you on Monday. Take care. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.